morning, everybody. It's a, it's a privilege for me to be here on this occasion. Um, you wouldn't know this uh, for many of you, but I stood uh, here a little over two years ago for uh, an election to see if I should move here to serve as the superintendent after being superintendent for uh, New England for the Christian and Missionary Alliance for a number of years. But my history in this congregation goes back further than that. I shared with the group on that occasion that it was a number of years ago as a student at Nyack College when I was playing on the baseball team that we came to Orlando over the spring break and I was seated back there because we didn't play on Sunday. We came to church on Sunday and this was First Alliance Church and so the coach brought us here and I sat right back there. And um, I just know that on that particular occasion, it was a joy for me to be here and a privilege to worship together with God's people at that time. And uh, that was more than 30 years ago. And so it's a privilege to be back here again today. I want to say this. If you're here today and English is not your first language and you're not understanding what I'm saying, reach over to somebody who is and let them translate in your ear if that would be helpful. It will not be a distraction to me in the least. So if you would like to do that, you feel free to do so. Would you join me in prayer and then we'll look to God's word. Father, thank you for the privilege of standing together in moments like this. It is indeed the faithfulness of God that preserves us for both time and eternity. And it is the face of God that we seek and know with every confidence one day we will behold. The scripture is clear. We will be brought through faith in Christ into the presence of of our creator. Thanks be to God. The scripture is clear that we will spend an uninterrupted eternity with you and those who are gathered into the kingdom of Christ and of God. This is our greatest hope. We long for it. We pray that as many as possible may be privileged to participate this side of heaven in your kingdom, and certainly for eternity in what you have prepared for those of us who love you and call you our Savior and our God, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, for a few moments, you looked back, and Pastor Jesse shared with you some things uh, in the history of this congregation. If as Pastor Jesse said, uh, God should hold his return for 125 years, which I hope he doesn't, quite honestly. It would be okay with me if he came this afternoon. I think that would be all right with you as well. Um, but if he should, none of us can fully anticipate what the future holds. And the truth of the matter is, is that the people who started a congregation 125 years ago could never have really imagined this moment. They, they couldn't have anticipated that we would be here where we are physically, gathered in this room and, and celebrating as we are on this occasion. And neither can we fully appreciate the past. Because the truth of the matter is, we don't really know what it took to preserve a congregation to still be in place today. 
we have no doubt um, there was a lot of sacrifice. There was a lot of commitment. There were many answered prayers. There were people who wondered, are we really going to make it? And they just chose to trust God. And here we are. Here we find ourselves today, 125 years later. I mean, this congregation has been around almost as long as the Christian and Missionary Alliance itself. And so it has a storied history, no doubt. And uh, in the end, we trace it to the faithfulness and the goodness of God. When you come to an occasion like this, where you're celebrating something as momentous as a congregation's 125th anniversary, it has a way of putting time into perspective, doesn't it? Again, we can't really understand all that's transpired throughout that period of time, and there aren't enough people alive anymore to give us the full story. But we celebrate times like this not only because it's appropriate to do so, but because it's an apt reminder that time is a gift from God. Time is a gift from God. And maybe not in the sense that we so often think. Uh, I sure hope that God gives me a full lifespan. Right? Many people hope that. Who's to determine how many days that really is or how long that will be in the world? If you believe the Bible, you know that God alone determines the number of your days in this world. But occasions like this are appropriate for us for another reason. It's a reminder that time is a gift from God in this sense. It stewards the opportunities and the works of God. You see, God, I'm convinced, is not nearly as concerned with how long you get to be alive in the world as he is concerned with what you do with the time you have in the world. Every once in a while, uh, someone will say to me, you know, did you hear that so-and-so passed away and they, they died prematurely? And if it's an, a younger person, especially if it's a younger parent who has children, uh, I'm sympathetic with the sentiment. I sure wish they'd had longer to live in the world with those that they love and to do the things that all of us enjoy doing. But as people of faith, if push comes to shove, fundamentally we believe this, nobody really dies before their time. If there is a sovereign God who oversees every moment of your lifetime, he determines how many moments you're afforded this side of heaven. But let me say what I said to you a moment ago. Time is still important because God's perspective on time is that it is the way his works in the world, in our midst or in your life, are stewarded. That's why time is a gift. That's why time is to be appreciated. That's why time is to be celebrated. That's why time is not to be wasted or treated casually. Because you really don't know at any given time what God may choose to do. And so my assignment this morning was to say, 
Well, we can look back and we certainly can anticipate what may await us in the future by the will and the grace of God. But we also ought to just look at right now. And if there was ever a passage in all of Holy Scripture that emphasized that God's perspective on time may be a little bit different than yours or mine on occasion, it's found in the first chapter of Mark's Gospel. And if you have a Bible this morning, you can go there. Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to read you just two verses. I'll read you some other verses later on, but here's where this point rests for us as far as Scripture is concerned. Mark chapter 1, it's verses 14 and 15, and it's Jesus who's speaking, and the gospel writer records it this way. He says, after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. I mean, can't you picture Jesus doing that? Telling people good news. And what is this good news? It's this, he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It would be very easy because of the way this reads in the English to not catch exactly um, the emphasis that Jesus speaks with when he says what he does. To put it in our vernacular, um, it might go something like this. The kingdom of God is here right now, and you don't want to miss it. It might read something more like that. The kingdom is here right now. You don't want to miss it. It's when you say to your son or your daughter as a faithful parent who desires that they would follow God, you would say, listen, this is so important that you do not want to lose this throughout your lifetime. That's kind of the moment in which you find yourself here in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Now, here's what you... Here's why you can really know that that's the emphasis Jesus is laying in this moment. For most of us, when we talk about the concept of time, we only have one English word for time. And you know what it is? Time. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about something serious or consequential, like, hey, I know you don't have much time left. Or whether we're being just casual and turn to somebody and say, hey, what time is it? We only have one word that represents our concept of time across that spectrum, but that's not the way it is in the Bible. The Bible speaks of time this way, and it uses the word chronos, which you're very familiar with. It's where we get the English word chronology, right? It's where you and I look at how something unfolds in a linear fashion. And chronos is really all about whatever is quantifiable, right? It allows you to put things in order, be it linear or through your calendar or whatever it is. I mean, it's, it's the reason that you're here right now. Either you come here every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or somebody issued you an invitation and you showed up as a result. 
and, and you, you put this appointment on your calendar, if you will. I mean, it was on my calendar. It's been on my calendar for a long time now. It said, Tom, show up at First Alliance Church, Lake Underhill Road. Be there half an hour early. Show up by 9.30 so they can put on the microphone that won't work. And then, you know, be prepared for the service. Right? I mean, that's the way your life works. It's going to work that way today. I don't know what your lunch plans are, but you... You're going to eat something. I don't know what the rest of the day has. Maybe you're coming back tonight for the 6 p.m. celebration. And you'll hang around afterward. And tomorrow you'll do whatever you need to do. That's the way most of us think 99% of the time whenever we conceptually consider the notion of time. And the truth of the matter is, is you're never going to fully escape at this side of heaven, are you? I mean, yesterday my son said to me, Dad, how did you live before smartphones? And I said to him, I said, it was really hard, son. I mean, it was almost impossible. And he just said, I, I mean, we just have no concept for it. My entire life is in this little computer that I hold in the palm of my hand. It just manages my life, right? And you're going to pick your phone up, hopefully not before the end of this sermon, but you're going to pick your phone up at some point today, and you're going to look at the dots on that calendar, and you're going to determine what you're going to do with your time. It's Sunday, and here you are. And if all things go according to plan, and Jesus doesn't return, and in his providence he should allow, you may plan to be back here next week at this very same time. Right? And between this moment and that one, if God should allow you to return and Jesus doesn't return, seven days will elapse. And in that sense, time is no friend of yours or mine, is it? Because seven days from now, I will be a week older. <laughs> I was with my son, as I said recently, it was yesterday, and we were at this stadium for a sporting event, and as we were going in, we watched these three young guys who said, hey, I'll race you up the steps. And it was this massive flight of about 100 steps, and it, they just took off, and they sprinted up the steps. And I looked at my son, I said, you and me, you want to race? And then we both looked at each other and said, no, no. Dad, you're 57, and I'm only 29, but, you know, I'm married with two children now. I'm not as light as I was when I was in college. Right? I mean, this gray hair on the side of my head and those aches that I sometimes feel in the lower part of my back, those are all indicative of chronos. And in that respect, time really is not your friend invariably it leads to the breakdown of all things. Just read the headlines. This world will not stick around forever. It just doesn't last. It breaks down. The good news of this passage is that when Jesus talks about how the time has now come, He's actually not concerned with chronos in the least. He uses the other Greek word for time that you and I would never use. Our vernacular just doesn't afford us the privilege. Right? He uses the word kairos. 
And kairos really isn't about something that is quantifiable or that is sort of in this linear order that allows us to just order life, if you will. Kairos is all about this, an opportune or decisive moment in history where all the conditions are right and something crucial or critical happens as a result of this convergence of circumstance. And I know that's a mouthful, but that's the word that Jesus uses here. And so what he's trying to say is the kingdom has come. And I want you to know that everything has converged at this moment. Now in the fullness of time, I have come and the kingdom of God has come back into the world in a way that no one could have anticipated. And everything is different as a result. And nothing will be the same ever again. And it has led to a convergence of circumstance that has crucial consequence. And it means the kingdom of God is here. And then he will go on to say, and you have been called to be a part of that kingdom. And as a result, your life, your life and presence in the world right now is of immense significance. And you should never have a casual view of it ever again. I don't know about you, but that's a really challenging word for me. Because admittedly, more often than not, I wake up in the morning and I open my iPhone 12 Pro Max and I look at all the dots on my monthly calendar and I see all the obligations that are mine. And in faithfulness to God and to people, I hope to attend to those responsibilities. And I could spend my life doing all that vocationally is required of me and at the end not realize the significance of my existence as a part of the kingdom of God in the world at this time in history. And Jesus is reminding us here that would be a tragedy. So time bears significance, friends, in the respect that it's about more than seconds in a minute, minutes in an hour, hours in a day, or days in a month, or months in a year, or even years in a lifetime. Yours or mine. And so when we celebrate something like an anniversary of 125 years, it should be a reminder to us to, yes, appreciate the past, and with great faith anticipate the future, but don't miss this moment. Don't walk out of here today thinking, oh, I wonder what God will do with First Alliance Church in the future. The better question for us as people who are a part of the kingdom is to say, I wonder what God may do right now with me or with this place if he chooses to keep it around for 125 years. And if he doesn't, then what's he doing? That's the point that's being made here. Most of you would not know, some of you would know, that my wife and I uh, are parents to an adult son who's profoundly disabled. He has developmental disabilities, and he's on the autism spectrum. Christian will turn 27 this month. And he is, in many ways, the joy of our life. He's taught us more about God's grace than, quite honestly, most anything else in all the world. He was diagnosed when he was very young. 
For most of his life, Christian has been echolaic. That means that whether you say something to Christian in the form of a statement or a question, he typically just repeats back to you what you said. Except when he's highly motivated. Like any of us, when we're highly motivated, we become pretty adept at communicating what we want, correct? Right? I mean, you don't speak to the doctor because he's the expert. Unless you think he's not doing or she's not doing something you think they should be doing or you have questions, and then it's your welfare in the end, and you're the steward of your health, and so you ask your question. You speak up. Christian is no different. Uh, Christian is keenly aware of time, and he measures it every single day. And some of his favorite words in the English language are these, first and then. And his goal is always to ask what comes first in anticipation that something else then might come that he's more interested in down the road. His goal is always to measure first because then hold something better in the future. Now, Christian's favorite place in all the world is the magic kingdom. Um, I'm not sure he gets fully the concept of heaven, but if he did have a concept of heaven, it would be Walt Disney's magic kingdom. That would be heaven for Christian. Until a couple of years ago, we've spent our whole life living in the Northeast. Every April, uh, I would come to a conference in the city of Orlando, a conference I'll attend next week. And because that conference always coincided with his school vacation, my wife and I would make this heroic trek where we'd pile him in the car because he doesn't fly, and we'd drive from Massachusetts to Orlando, Florida. I'd go to the conference Monday through Thursday, and then I'd take a few days off, and we would spend the next couple of days going to the Magic Kingdom and the Animal Kingdom. And Christian got in this rhythm because it went that way for six, seven, or eight years. And if you're on the autism spectrum, something only has to happen twice, and then it's a routine. And so that's the way it was. And so for many years, we did that. We kept that routine. It, it was after the second year when we were driving away, which was always a sad occasion for Christian, the moment he sees that sign that says, Welcome to Georgia, he knows he's left the state of Florida, much to his chagrin. And it was the second year when he said to us, First, and we said, First what? And then the recitation began that we have now said in our family thousands of times, without exaggeration. First, it's summer, and we go to New Hampshire, because every summer we went to New Hampshire. And then he would say, and he would begin to mark off the things that highlighted his calendar. Then, trunk or treat, or his version of Halloween, which is where, you know, you park all those cars in the church parking lot, and everybody collects candy. And then, Thanksgiving. And then Christmas and all that went with it. Family coming to visit, going to see people, and all of those things. And then Lauren, his sister, who lives in Chicago for the last 11 years, would come to visit, as she invariably did at that time of the year. Then Valentine's Day. Then Christian's birthday. Then Happy Easter basket. Then Grandma and Grandpa come to visit. And then we go to Florida. It was this grand celebration. 
I am not exaggeration, exaggerating. I've probably recited that list with Christian 10,000 times. He goes to bed using the words first, and then he wakes up often using the words first and then. And we rehearsed it in an effort to click off whatever it was that stood between us and this return to the magic kingdom. You know, the truth of the matter is, is many of us in this room measure time that very same way. You showed up here today. Maybe you're thinking, when's he going to finish? I've got to get to lunch. First the sermon and then the lunch. Right? Soon. But for most of us, it's something more significant than lunch. First, I work as hard as I can in this position, and then hopefully I get a promotion. I date this person for a period of time, and then hopefully he proposes and we get married. I get married, and then hopefully God gives us children very soon, but maybe not. Or I'll live here for a little while, and then I get to live where I really want to be. I've only got to work for a little while longer, and then I get to retire. And let me say what I said to you earlier. None of us will ever fully escape that. Maybe you're going to get to move from here and live near your grandchildren, something you've always wanted. And, and, and listen, not only will you never fully escape it, I understand it has its place, and I appreciate it. But the caution of the gospel is this, that if you live your life largely that way, this side of heaven, First this, then that, and then that, and then maybe hopefully something better I've been waiting for my whole life. The risk for people who have all their faculties and even their faith is that they may miss the moments where God comes, yes, in time, but he doesn't come in Kronos, he comes in Kairos because he's planning to insert something significant right between where you are right now and what you anticipate or are living for next And that thing that you couldn't have anticipated and you really don't even see on your calendar, and maybe if you were to be entirely honest, you don't even want to interrupt your schedule for how you've got your life planned out, that thing right there may result in the most significant thing that's ever happened in your life. And it comes in a way you couldn't have anticipated, you never would have scheduled, it's unusual, and the only explanation you have is that that comes from God. He did something in a moment that you couldn't have anticipated. I could never have anticipated when I sat in that back corner more than 30 years ago that I would be standing here at this moment. Not that this is significant necessarily in any great way, I understand, but I could never have anticipated that. I can't see the future. I just know that in as I live in Kronos, I've got to be sensitive to Kairos. Is he right here right now speaking And do I need to tarry before him or with his people to say, God, do your thing? Now, I'm going to leave you with this. The risk of living your life largely subject to chronos, right? Largely just concerned about time, as you see it on your calendar, is that not only do you risk missing the God-given opportunities of life, you risk something more. I mean... Kronos is important. You won't escape it. But let me, let me restate that. Kronos is important. 
This side of heaven, you won't escape it. But one day you will. You escape it and all the effects of it. That's why the New Testament writer James cautions us about being obsessed with planning our lives and being in control of our own ship. Listen to what he says in James 4, 13 through 17. It's not on the screen, so just hear it. It's James. He says to the people of God, people of faith, now listen, you who say that today or tomorrow, we're going to go do this or we'll go to that city. We're going to spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist. You appear here for a little while, and then it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Right? Modern people have become so casual in their perspective of God's kingdom and time, they just say, that might have been a missed opportunity. No, James says, actually, if it was the opportunity of God that came to you in a moment that you missed, it may have been sin for you to have missed that. I mean, that's incredibly challenging for me. As a follower of God, maybe it's best depicted with this image that you'll see here on the screen. Francesco Salviati in 16th century painted this Greek god Kairos. J.R. Briggs caused the image both disturbing and yet striking, but very clarifying. If I were to show you the the whole image, which I can't, because you know the 16th century painters, they painted everybody without pants. So I didn't think it would be appropriate to put it up here in church on a Sunday morning. But his depiction of Kairos is striking and clarifying. He's bald everywhere, without clothing or hair, except for this, this lock of hair that grows out of the top of his head. And Saviati was trying to communicate something, that kairos or time, the way it comes to you unexpectedly, is like this depiction. But what you also need to know, if it were expanded, is he's winged on the back of his, on the back of his person are these two wings that look almost angelic in nature, and he's winged for flight, and he flies close at any given moment to, to people. And they have to make their decision in an instant as the opportunities of God come to you in a moment, will you grab the only place that you can, this ponytail of hair that hangs down, and will you hold on for all your worth as he wings you away to wherever it is that God intends to take you in time to do with you what he will, or will you let it pass by? I mean, it is both striking and clarifying. Now listen, this should come with a disclaimer. Not every opportunity that comes to you in life is the opportunity of God. That's why it's very important that you know how you hear the voice of God. I mean, as a pastor, one of the most challenging questions we're ever asked is this, hey pastor, I have this opportunity to take this job and move my family over here. Do you think I should do it? And early on I would say, well, let me help you try to figure that out. Now I just look at somebody when they ask me that question and I just say, I don't know. Because I don't hear the voice of God for you. I'll try to hear the voice of God with you. But you need to know how you hear the voice of God to know if this is his opportunity or not. But more often than not, the gospel says we miss the ones that fly into our midst because we're not sensitive enough to the voice of God to know this is from above, and I should grab it, and I should go with it. And that's what kairos is. 
And the last thing that Kairos communicates to us, not only do we risk missing the opportunities of God if we don't understand this conceptually, but if we also don't understand it, we risk being undone by the disappointments of life. Listen, friends, if all you ever do is live your life subject to Kronos, you're left to absorb every blow that comes your way in a lifetime. I don't know that lady who spoke by video, but I leaned over to Jack and I said, Jack, what she just said, that's why I keep coming back to church. Right there. Because of what she just said, that's why I keep coming back to church. Because in 1969, with two children and expecting another, her husband abandons her. And she has to go on public assistance in a day and age when that was not in vogue. And yet, somebody else whispered to me, she was the sweetest lady. And then she said she just took God's word at face value and believed the promises and the verses of Holy Scripture. <laughs> Listen, if you don't know God, you get to absorb all of that your lifetime through. You don't want to do that. That will cause you to either be embittered, disillusioned, depressed, or you'll give up on any hope for the future. But Kairos says you don't have to absorb it. Why? Because this same winged Christ who flies to you with the opportunities of God and of heaven also flies to you in your most difficult and darkest moments of life. And he says to you, I hang it down here. You grab hold and you hold on for all you're worth because I'll be with you until we fly out of these circumstances as well. That's what Kairos provides people. For those of us in the room who are Superman fans, <laughs> you know that one of the superpowers that Superman had that he could use and knew that he never should, was that he could actually go out and fly so furiously around the globe that he could reverse it on its axis, and in so doing, he could turn back time. He knew that he shouldn't do this, right? I mean, it's to risk too many things going wrong in the world, in Kronos. But every once in a while, he would do so nonetheless, almost always to reverse pain and tragedy in somebody's life, usually in the life of Lois Lane, the lady that he loved most of all, right? I got to tell you, <laughs> the other day I was talking to my friend, a very dear friend, uh, we were just talking about our children and how we're thrilled that they're all following God, but how there's some pain they've suffered and we wished, you know, they didn't have to, and we just looked at each other and I said, I kind of wish I could be Superman in this moment, and I could just turn back time and tell them, here's what you might be able to do to avoid that loss and that pain. And yet, <laughs> like you, I have no such power. But I know someone who does. I know someone who doesn't have to reverse earth on its axis. I know someone who comes flying into the lives of my children and those people that I love and care about and says, I hang low here. I'm no respecter of persons. What I've done for another, I'll do for you. And I know someone who says, I'll stay with you through it all. And I don't play favorites. And I just know how important that is.
right? And so that's why I say in the end, listen, <laughs> you tell whoever it is that God brings you to. I don't care if it's the people suffering in the Ukrainian conflict or those who've endured the Turkish earthquake or the mother who's in the hospital right now who will not go home to her children tonight or whatever your loss may be, you tell them, listen, <laughs> this is just but for a time. But God holds a perspective on time that is different than ours. And there's a time coming when you will not endure or be subject to any of this loss. And there's a time coming where you will see all of his glory and you will rejoice now and forevermore. 125 years is a long time. Amen? But it's nothing in comparison to what God has prepared for those of us who love him and live according to his purpose. Father, thank you.